This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. Episode 8, Blub and the Bubblers. The cadets ran to the cockpit as an alarm shrieked through the space train. When they walked through the door, they found Goro, frantically flipping switches and typing into the cockpit's computer. Goro, what's going on? Doug asked. It was unsettling seeing the robot conductor so flustered. He was usually the most composed of the crew in times of crisis. Oh, nothing to be alarmed about, Goro replied, still pushing buttons in a frenzy. 
Just a failing engine. Lydia shook her head to make sure she heard him right. Failing engine? Goro, that sounds pretty serious. Goro chuckled nervously. Nothing I haven't dealt with before, my dear. I have survived such a setback. He flipped a switch and the computer honked angrily at him, making him flip it back. You survived, but what about the rest of the crew? Doug asked. Goro paused for a millisecond. For them, it didn't turn out quite as well. The cadets slowly turned and looked at each other. Doug spun Goro around to face them. Goro, focus! How can we help? Goro thought for a second. I can't imagine any scenario in which you can. Leo quietly pointed at the controls and started to sit next to Goro. I'm afraid there's nothing you can do, Leo, Goro told him. It isn't the train's computer that's an issue. Dude, what happened? Dallas asked. He calmed little Blobby who was jiggling anxiously on his shoulder. Well, when the space train was shrunk by Jojo Mijo and then blown back up, not all the engine's parts grew back to their original size. It's clunking around back there with shrunken guts, nearly half of its parts too tiny to push the train. Can we stop at the nearest planet and try to fix it? Lydia suggested. Assuming I can find all the right materials to remake the shrunken parts, Goro replied. But finding everything I'll need in one place is highly unlikely. Doug shrugged. What's the alternative? Goro stroked his metal mustache. Drifting through cold space, waiting for the power to run out and freeze us all? Lovely, Doug said. What's the closest planet? Lydia asked. Goro turned around and pounded on the keyboard. A little planet appeared on the screen in front of him. He groaned. <sighs> Blub. Probably the least likely hunk of rock to have what we need. There's nothing but bubbles down there. I love bubbles, Dallas said joyfully. Blobby looked just as happy. The little orange blob bounced up and down by his ear. If that's our only option, then let's go for it, Doug said. Goro accelerated the train. Aye, aye, Captain. The space train banked to the right and then dipped down. Coming into view in the cockpit window was the planet Blub. Doug and the cadets oohed and awed once they saw it. It was a bright circle against the dark, starry background. Several rings made of bubbles rotated around it. They popped as the space train flew through them. The cockpit rumbled as they entered Blub's atmosphere. Ah, you've got to love pushing through the atmosphere, which is just the layers of gas surrounding the planet. As always, Goro switched over into teaching mode with no warning. The planet's gravity is what holds these layers of gas in place. On Earth, we have five layers of atmosphere. The first one closest to the surface that we experience is the troposphere. It contains the air we breathe and the weather we enjoy or detest. That layer goes about five to ten miles up from the surface. Next is the stratosphere, which contains the ozone layer, which absorbs most of the sun's ultraviolet rays. Then above that we have the mesosphere, the coldest layer, which ironically enough is where most meteors burn up. That is what you are seeing when you watch a meteor shower or see a shooting star. Next we have the thermosphere, where most satellites orbit the Earth and where the aurora dance. 
You know, those colourful northern lights? Right. And lastly, we have the exosphere. And that is where the atmosphere thins out and merges with interplanetary space. What do you guys think? Interesting, isn't it? The cadets had ozoned out a couple minutes ago. When the orange haze cleared from the window, tall clouds made of millions of glistening bubbles filled the sky. Below them lay endless hills of crystal-clear grass and a marvelous city, the Blub Capital. The space train swooped in low on the alien civilization. Homes made of giant bubbles dotted the crystal hills. From their chimneys, bubbles puttered up into the sky. Doug noticed that every building they flew by was made of bubbles. Some big, others teeny tiny. All were somehow built with clumped together bubbles that were strong enough to support the thousands of people wandering in and out of them. Doug could see the people through the transparent bubble walls as they made their way down bubble elevators in a bubble skyscraper. Dallas felt like a kid in a candy store. Clearly, he was once the toddler who'd gone berserk every time his mom or dad blew a few bubbles for him. He stared out the window with bright eyes. Blobby looked just as amazed. Goro steered the space train behind a cluster of bubble buildings downtown and set her down. The second he opened the exit doors, Blobby was off, bouncing onto the crystal streets and off the bubble structures. Blobbert, don't go too far! And be back in time for dinner, Dallas called after him. Oh, he's grown up so fast. Doug stepped out and observed the people of Blub. They had crystal hair and tan faces. They were dressed in blue and pink clothes and surrounded in a single large bubble that protruded out all around them. Instead of walking down the streets, they bounced. After a couple steps to kickstart the momentum, they jumped and leaned in, making their thick bubble suit bounce them off the streets 50 feet into the air, only to come bouncing back down like human bouncy balls. Boing, boing, boing. To Doug's surprise, none of them seemed to care much about the outsiders. Occasionally, one or two would glance their way, but never say anything. They just bounced along with blank expressions, staring straight ahead or into little devices that looked like cell phones. They're called bubblers, Goro told them. No one knows how they originally got here or when, but when they did, presumably thousands of years ago, they quickly discovered the unique expandable properties of the planet's grass. What do you mean? Lydia asked. Goro pointed to a group of little kids playing in the crystal grass at the park. Watch those little bubblers over there. A couple of the silver-haired children squatted down and pulled up handfuls of the grass. It bent and folded easily in their fingers, much like grass would back on Earth. But then something extraordinary happened. The kids mashed the blades of grass in their hands as if they were forming a snowball. With enough pressure, the grass smushed into a single transparent blob in their hands. Then, holding their hands up to their mouth like a horn, they blew through a gap between their thumbs. As they did, dozens of strong bubbles blew out the other end of their hands. Bubbles drifted off into silver trees until the goop was all gone. Whoa, Doug said amazed. Goro sighed. Yes, yes, remarkable. 
but I haven't the time to sit around and blow bubbles all day. I'll cool down the engine while you all look for the materials I need. Here's the list. He handed it to Leo, who read it over quickly and immediately recognized how difficult it would be to find all the rare materials in one place. Goro wished them luck and went back into the space train to prep the engine. One of the little bubblers in the park looked in their direction and walked over. She was a young girl, no older than five or six. Her hair was done back in a silver braid, and her eyes were grayish-blue. "'Have you come to save us?' the little girl asked. Doug bent over to her level. "'Save you from what?' "'From things?' "'What things?' "'The things everyone is buying. They can't stop buying things from the twins.' They come every week with lots and lots of stuff, and everybody spends everything they have on it. Screens, screens, and more screens. That's all we get. The little girl looked down at the ground. Mommy and Daddy haven't talked to me in a long time. They're always staring into the screens. Doug and Lydia exchanged a look. Then they glanced back over the city plaza. All around them, adult bubblers stared into small devices. Even the bouncing bubblers dangerously stared into screens as they bounced blindly down the streets, ricocheting off each other in buildings. A closer look revealed familiar objects. Game Boy handheld gaming devices. Cell phones that were popular on Earth ten plus years ago. Dude, is that a Nintendo 64? Dallas said, pointing to a group of teens huddled around a screen on a street corner. They mindlessly played the vintage video game system, their thumbs fidgeting with rapid precision as though they'd been at it for days. Doug looked back at the little girl. Who are the twins? And when exactly do they bring you the screens? They should be here today. They sell the screens at the fountain. I don't... She was cut short by a loud intercom coming from above. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. Release day! Shouted the raspy voice. The cadets all looked up to see a double helicopter lowering into the city. The two black helicopters were connected by a series of poles between them. Tied to the poles were nets carrying stacks upon stacks of boxes. Oh, they're here the little girl said before retreating back to the park. Mobs of bubblers emerged from the bubble buildings and crowded streets and gathered around the plaza fountain. The fountain looked to be made of solid crystal, and from it spewed a beautiful fountain of bubbles that cascaded in wide arcs until they fell into a pool. The double helicopter descended until the boxes landed gently onto the plaza. A click from the poles and the nets were dropped, Finding a clearing nearby, the helicopter landed. Moments later, two identical men stepped out of either side of the craft. The crowd cheered when they appeared, like they were celebrities stepping out onto a red carpet. The men were grisly, with shaggy long brown hair, thick bushy beards, and unibrows. Despite looking like cavemen, they wore the slickest black suits Doug had ever seen. It was as though two wolves had eaten businessmen and stolen their clothes. Judging by their identical appearance, Doug could assume these were the twins. They pulled skinny microphones from their sleeves like they were hosts on The Price is Right. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, please, really, stop. You're too much. <laughs> Said one of them into the microphone, beckoning for the masses to keep the praises coming. The crowd erupted again. It took a full minute to hush them. It is with great excitement that we bring you one of our best inventions yet. A technology that has taken us years to develop. A true game changer. We present to you the iPhone. The other man kicked the first box next to him and its door popped open, spilling hundreds of little iPhone boxes. Again, the crowd lost their minds. One of these can be yours for just 300 payments of 999.99, announced one of the twins. People dug through their pockets for wads of cash and handed it to the twins. The business-clad cavemen accepted their money with a fake graciousness and threw the iPhone boxes into the crowd. When the last box was sold, they climbed back into their double copter and flew up onto the tallest bubble skyscraper in the heart of the city. Uh, did those furry bros just say they invented the iPhone? Dallas asked. Doug shook his head. I can't believe this. Come on, let's go see what's going on. The cadets took the bubble elevator to the top floor until they reached the owner's suite. Lydia cleverly got them past the receptionist by telling her they had an important business deal to make with the twins. When they entered the twins' office, they were not impressed with what they saw. The two dapper furballs lounged on beanbags, playing video games and eating Cheetos. Behind them, a solid glass wall looked out over the incredible bubble city. It wasn't until they finished a level that they finally noticed their visitors. Oh, hey, check it out, munchkins, said the hairiest one, nudging his twin brother. Look, guys, if you're looking for one of our amazing new devices, Janice at the desk can help you out, okay? They turned back to their video games. Dude, we didn't come here for your lame first-gen iPhones, Dallas said, cocking an eyebrow. The twins froze. How do you know that it's the first generation of the device? The closest one asked. Because there have been a million newer versions that have come out since those puppies. Where did you get those things anyway? A bulk purchase on eBay? The twins looked at each other and then back at the cadets. Are you from Earth? The furthest one asked. Doug stepped forward. Yes, we are. And we've come aboard the space train to help these people that you've enslaved with your devices. The twins' jaws dropped. Whoa, now hold on a sec. You guys came here on the space train? Doug nodded curiously. The twins laughed. The wanderers keep getting younger said the closer one. We'd heard from Clay and Jojo that the space train was back, but we didn't believe it. Thought they were messing with us. My name is Tank. This is Tom. We're the Turbo Twins, he said theatrically, but to his disappointment got no response. Psst, Tom, you got a little something. Tank motioned to his brother's beard and pointed out the huge Cheeto buried there. Oblivious, Tom fumbled through the bush of hair on his chin. No, no, to the left. Your other left. <sighs> Come on, it's huge. Just, just gross. I don't want to touch it, Tom. Don't get so frustrated. Stop fidgeting. It's right there. A little more. There. Now deeper. 
Tom finally found the rogue Cheeto and pulled it out and popped it in his mouth. Tank wasn't impressed. Perfect. You got it on your $3,000 suit again. How many times do I have to tell you, use a napkin? You guys know Clay Bogan and Jojo Mijo? Lydia interrupted. Tank jerked his head back. Know them? We were in their class at the academy for years. I'm surprised you know about them. So you're in exile? Doug clarified. Goros told us all about your group. How you go about wreaking havoc throughout the galaxy. Goro! Tom drummed his knees with excitement, making huge Cheeto paw prints on his expensive pants. Oh, please tell me Goro's still around. Doug nodded again. Wow, wouldn't that be a reunion? Tank joked. For the record, we're not wreaking havoc. We're just making a quick buck. We take products and ideas from other worlds and sell them as our own to worlds that have never seen them. Totally harmless. We provide a service. Tom stroked his grisly beard, losing another Cheeto in it in the process. Yeah, the business has been good to us. But that's dishonest, Lydia retorted. Those aren't your ideas. You're stealing them. Not to mention you've taken a whole civilization and made them addicted to your products, Doug added. You've turned these people into mindless zombies. Not our problem, Tank replied coolly. We aren't forcing them to buy. Yet, come every release day, they're here, pockets emptied, hands outstretched. Some will even sell their furniture to buy what we have. Some don't even have enough left over for food. <laughs> You'll sell to them till they have nothing left? Dallas asked. Tom frowned and rocked his head from side to side. Mm, more or less, yeah. Then we'll move on to the next world. It's not personal, it's just business. Doug clenched his fists. These guys were getting on his nerves. But you can't! You dumped too much on them too quickly. They weren't ready for it. You've numbed them to everything around them. They're not even talking to each other out there. Tank shrugged. Like I said, Wanders, not our problem. Now wait a second. You said you came here on the space train? Doug suddenly felt uneasy. He didn't like the conniving grin growing on Tank's face. Tank turned to Tom. What do you think something like the space train would sell for in a place like Hagobok or Ziplo? Tom scratched his beard and chuckled. <laughs> I'd say enough to buy a few more of these buildings at least. Exactly what I was thinking, Tank replied. He pressed a button on his video game remote control and seconds later a voice sounded in the ceiling speaker. Yes, said the voice. The space train is parked somewhere in the city. Have the men spread out and find it. Right away. The cadets looked at the twins in horror. Hope you guys like it here, Tom said, because it looks like you just lost your ride. <laughs> as quickly as they could, the cadets rushed down the elevators and ran back to the space train. But when they peeked around the corner, the Turbo Twins' men were already boarding it and standing guard. Great, now what? Lydia asked. Doug thought for a minute. I've got it. Leo, you still have that list of materials we need that Goro gave you? 
Leo nodded. You and Dallas go back to that building and look through the twins' trash pile. When we passed the third floor, I noticed there was a huge facility where they dump all their random extra stuff that they're throwing out. There has to be something we can use to fix the space train in there. Lydia, you and I are going to try to give these bubblers a reason to ditch their screens. How are we going to do that? Lydia asked helplessly. Doug looked around. By reminding them of what they already have. The cadets split up. Dallas and Leo went back to the Turbo Twins building and snuck into the trash facility on the third floor. Doug and Lydia headed to the park. When they got there, Doug found the little girl they had spoken to earlier and called her over. Then, sitting her down so she could watch, Doug scooped up a handful of grass and started to build. He mushed the grass together, forming a blob. Then, copying what he'd seen earlier from the kids, he blew through his hand, creating a burst of bubbles. The children giggled. Then Doug took the bubbles and molded them into a soccer ball and two goals. Catching on to Doug's idea, Lydia smiled and set the goals up across from each other in the park and started playing soccer with the kids. Within minutes, all the kids in the city were crowding around the park to watch the game. They too wanted to play. So Doug made more balls and more goals. He even made a basketball and a hoop. And since he was on a roll, he went ahead and built footballs, baseballs, and bats, and other fun outdoor toys and games he'd always played back home in his yard. Pretty soon, the adult bubblers started looking up from their phones and handheld devices. They watched the kids having the time of their lives with Doug's bubble toys. A few cautiously joined in the fun. Then more jumped in. Adult bubblers from all over were hearing about the bubble toy festivities and were gathering together to watch and play. Moms and dads played catch with their kids. Grandparents with their grandkids bowled bubble bowling balls into bubble pins that popped upon impact. For the first time in a while, the whole city had set down their screens and were enjoying each other. Even the Turbo Twin guards who had taken over the space train came out to join in the fun. Within an hour or two, all of the bubblers had thrown their devices back into the twins' stockpile by the fountain and were demanding a refund. Dallas and Leo came running out of the skyscraper carrying bags with big smiles on their faces. Dallas was wearing one of the bubbler bubble suits. Dudes, check it! He cheered. He bounced towards them, but quickly lost control, ricocheting off trees and other bubblers, launching them across the street. Leo did a little dance with his eyebrows, and pulling a needle from his bag, popped Dallas's bubble as he bounced by. Like a deflating balloon, he zipped all over until it landed with a plop back in front of the group. Dallas looked at the deflated suit like he had just broken his new toy on Christmas morning. Dang he said. He and Leo dropped the bags in front of Doug and Lydia. We got it all, Dallas said proudly. This crazy little genius figured out how they organized their materials and was able to pinpoint the location of the boxes that had what we needed. Doug peeked into the bag. It was random, all right. A brass trumpet, a wooden yo-yo, a monocle, and other oddities. Perfect. Let's go. Not wasting another second, the cadets hurried back to the space train and gave Goro the materials. Beyond surprise that they had found everything on the list, Goro took the bag back to the engine room and repaired the engine with the parts. 
Once everything was back in tip-top shape, they prepared for liftoff. But before they could leave, a loud thump, 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 thump sounded above them. They looked up to see the Turbo Twins double helicopter hovering just above them. Goro couldn't believe what he was seeing. His metal mustache frowned. Well, bless my gears. It's the Turbo Twins. We know, Doug said. Furious, Tank shouted down at them through the helicopter speaker. Your plan may have worked this time, Goro, but this isn't the first planet we've sold to and it certainly won't be the last. Don't bother checking on the Academy. It's already been looted. We took everything from that place months ago. Angry bubblers came bouncing down the streets towards them, shouting at the twins for a refund. Bouncing out in front of them, leading the pack, was Blobby. Before the mob could reach them, the Turbo Twins flew off and disappeared through the bubble clouds. Once Blobby had bounced in and landed on Dallas's shoulder, Goro shut the doors and typed coordinates into the computer. Where are we going? Doug asked him. Goro looked back at the cadets. We're heading for the Academy. And with that, they sped off, leaving a trail of bubbles behind them. With the Turbo Twins gone, the Bubblers sold the Twins' gadgets and supplies to crews of scavengers that passed by on occasion. It didn't take them long to make back all their money. And from that day on, all of the Bubblers spent more time together, away from the screen, enjoying each other's company, bouncing back higher than ever. What's up, Rocketeers? I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Space Train. How cool would it be to bounce around in bubbles? Honestly. If I had a bouncing bubble suit, I'm pretty sure all I'd do is bounce around all day. I'd be like, all right, kids, you ready to go to Chick-fil-A? Yeah, Dad. And then we'd take a few running steps and boing, 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 boom, we're at Chick-fil-A. Or as my four-year-old likes to call it, Chick-fil-A. I'd probably have a little pocket on the bubble suit just for extra Chick-fil-A sauce. That stuff is magical. How about we review what we learned about atmospheres? Atmospheres, as the story teaches us, are layers of gas surrounding the planet. And it's the planet's gravity that holds these layers of gas in place. And like I said, on Earth we have five layers of atmosphere, or five layers of these gases. The first one, which is about five to ten miles high is called the troposphere. And this layer contains all the air that we breathe, all the weather that we experience. And above that, we have the stratosphere, which contains the ozone layer, which absorbs most of the sun's ultraviolet rays. And above that, we have the mesosphere, which is the coldest layer, and also where the meteors start to burn up. And then next, we have the thermosphere, and that's where the satellites are orbiting the Earth. And lastly, we have the exosphere, which is where those atmosphere gases thin out and merge with space. 
Now, I also wanted to talk for a second about screen time. You probably noticed that theme in the story. Remember how unhappy the bubblers were when all they did was stare at their phones and devices all day? Let me first just say that screens aren't always bad. There can be a lot of great things that come from a screen, like uplifting shows or websites that teach us how to do things. Most people use screens for their jobs nowadays. There are a ton of great things that can come from these devices. But, as it is with all things, there needs to be a balance. When we spend too much time looking at screens, it's bad for us. Mainly because we miss out on connecting with people and the world around us. So next time your mom or dad tells you that it's time to turn off the TV or whatever screen it is you're looking at, trust them. They're trying to make sure you're happy, just like the bubblers. All right, Rocketeers, that's it for this week. But be sure to tune in next Monday for an all-new story. Thank you all for listening. This is your host, Greg Webb.